There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey, everyone. It's Amy Castles. How are we doing? We have a very special guest, Alicia Black. Alicia Black is a personal trainer. She is more than actually just a personal trainer. She's a rehabilitation specialist. She's a yoga instructor. She's a glute specialist, has done tactical training, and she's got her CSCS, which is a very challenging certification training program. So she can assess someone's body and put it back together, which is what she's- With the naked eye. With the naked eye. I love that. I mean, that's that's huge. <laughs> so you've heard us mention- Alicia, a lot. She's the mad scientist. Yeah. It's a good way to describe it. I think actually yeah. you kind of enjoy the torture. Oh my God. You have to a little bit in this field. Yeah. I'm yeah. over a year in with you and there's no enjoyment. I mean, it's, it's, there's enjoyment it's pleasurable on my end. pain. You laugh. I love it. I cry. You the, laugh. You know, it's fun. We all have emotions. <laughs> Some more than others and that's okay. But no, you have single-handedly in, in over this past year have just put me back together. I was Humpty Dumpty and fell off the wall. And you definitely, step by step, process by process, have piece put me back by together. piece. Yeah. Piece by piece. Mm-hmm. When I listened. When you listen, <laughs> yes. And when you're not talking back. And being a baby. Yeah. Well, you know what? On our last episode, we actually talked a lot about the Candida cleanse that Trey has mm-hmm. been on. Mm-hmm. And you were a huge part of him moving into that. And you I were the part. Because you've read the book 
grain brain. Yes. Bra- brain grain. Grain brain. Brain Dr. Grain brain. Pullmutter. She's the one that turned mm-hmm. me on to it. Yes. And mm-hmm. these are just the little pieces that we go through life and you just pick up a little bit and it inspires someone and then they just take off running. You just never know the ripple effects. So you were a huge part of that, which helped him with his inflammation to be able to handle so many of your workouts. Oh, yeah. Because for somebody in such great shape, you sure do complain a lot. I'm a whiner. She He's laughs very at me all dramatic. the time. I'm he very is. dramatic. Yeah. I'm learning we that. We call him Trina. Yeah. <laughs> Trina. <Not> Trey. Trina. <laughs> I am so going to do that. Oh, thanks. I You're appreciate welcome. that. You're welcome. That's, that's I, amazing. How come you've yeah. never told me that? Why would I? Trina? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm not well, sure we need to have you back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not offended. It's fine. So one day we'll have to really dig into the subject mm-hmm. about training, lifting weights, the anatomy, the physiology behind it. But today, I think it's really great for us to talk way more in depth what's behind all of it. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, none of that stuff matters if your heart's not right and if your brain's not right. So let's talk about you. I want to hear your story because you have an amazing story. So Alicia, yes, let's talk about where'd you grow up? So I grew up in the boonies of Vermont, way up north, uh, about two hours south of the Canadian border. Yes, it's cold up there. And I grew up in a small, very conservative Catholic family. We were kind of like we were the weird ones where we were. Everything was very, very family based, very religion based in, in my family growing up. And um, the youngest of four girls. So yeah, my wow. poor dad, bless his heart. We had one bathroom growing up. It was a lot. Oh, oh good my Lord. gosh. So yeah, it was it was just nothing but but chaos in our house on a daily basis. And I think that's one of the reasons why my dad has as little hair as he does now. Sorry, dad. <laughs> but you know, growing up, there's not a lot out there. So so Texas is this big, vast place of just like things to do. And where mm-hmm. I'm from, there was a lot of nature, <laughs> trees, cows, maple syrup, maple syrup, lots of that, <laughs> some cheese, you know, but you had to kind of just go and make your own fun. So we didn't like our, our movie theater, for example, growing up in the town that I grew up in, it had two screens and that oh, was nice. about the size of this room. It was, it was very small. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So we kind of had to fend for ourselves and my grandparents never lived super far away from us. So we spent a lot of time with my grandparents and my granddad and I had a very, very special relationship. We kind of talked about this before where my relationship with my granddad was a little different than the rest of my cousins. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because I was the baby of the family, Mm -hmm. but he was in the Navy. He was kind of just a hard, very just like emotionless man, except with me. And so when it was just the two of us hanging out, he would like sneak me little pieces of chocolate. He'd sit there and tell me stories. He was just, he was kind of a big softy with me. I didn't know the hard kind of stubborn side of him. Everybody else saw it except for me. And growing up, I was not a, I was not a big kid. I was a very small child, very just vertically challenged, as I like to say. And I got picked on a lot. And so my granddad in school, in school. Oh yeah. I got picked on and bullied quite a bit. And I remember one time where I was in first grade and this kid, I'll never forget his name. I'm not going to say it just in case, but I'll (laughs) never forget him. He pushed me on the ground for no reason. I don't know why. I don't know if it's, you know, maybe he had a crush on me, but he pushed me on the ground and he just started wailing on me. And I'm just, he's throwing haymakers at my face. So I went home with two black eyes and a bloody nose. And my granddad caught wind of this. First grade? First grade. I was seven years old. My granddad caught wind of this and he was in the Navy. And he didn't say, you know, are you okay? Like, are you all right? Do you need me to get you anything? He goes, all right, come outside. I'm going to teach you how to hit. 
And that day kind of changed my life. So I, I learned how to hit. I learned how to throw a punch that day and how to defend myself. And the one thing he always said to us is like in our family, you know, you got to fight to defend yourself. You never, ever start a fight, but you better finish a fight. And I kind of took that with me even now at the age of 32. I'm, you know, so, okay, yeah, don't start the fight, but you better finish the fight. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so where did that lead you? So you learn how to fight. You learn mm -hmm. how to punch. Mm -hmm. And then how old were you when you started to learn some of the mixed martial arts? Young for the sport. So I was around 14 when I started just, oh, just grappling um. some jujitsu. My dad was a jujitsu fighter. And so we started learning little things kind of here and there, started actually getting into it around the age of 14 with my first fight at the age of 15. So yeah. Like Hold on. Fight, from, like, from start to 15 that year? That year. You are already ready to, to roll? Yeah. Wow. I picked it up pretty quickly, but I was also, I think, more stubborn than anything. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think I was good. I think I was just too stubborn to lose. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Is what I it came down that. to. <laughs> yeah. your, your drive. I could totally see that as well. So how long did you stick with it? With jujitsu? Uh-huh. All of it. I retired. I can say that. I retired at the age of 26. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, 12 years. Mm -hmm. so you were in pretty deep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you mm -hmm. learned a lot. I learned a lot. So how has that changed you in your life? How has that impacted your life? That's a loaded question. Honestly, the easiest answer is in that field, I'm very much the underdog. I'm short. I'm small. I'm light. I don't have super long limbs. So it taught me that I had to continue. If I knew I wanted to get good in that field and I wanted to do well, I had to work really, really hard and I had to win. And so more than anything, it taught me that I, I cannot give up in that field. I can't just give in in a fight. If like, if the role is hard and we're down there and we're grappling for what feels like 30 minutes on the ground, even though it's 30 seconds, I cannot let anybody get an inch on me. So I always have to kind of think one step ahead. Mm -hmm. So it's always kind of like over preparing myself to make sure that I've thought out every single move that I can to make sure that I come out on top and that I win. So it taught a lot of mental preparation and discipline. Mental strength. Mental yes. strength. Yeah. A lot of that. So you entered later on until you're 26. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around that time, you entered into a relationship mm -hmm. that was very toxic. Mm -hmm. What happened? How did that even happen? How did the relationship happen? If you were so empowered, I'm not trying to. No, 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 please. Yeah. But you were so empowered. Any mother or father would want to put their child into an MMA. Heck yeah, learn how to fight. Yeah. You'd be empowered, defend yourself. But then you, the last thing you would think is that they would end up in some sort of abusive relationship. Right. What happened? How did that happen? It's ironic, isn't it? It is. You know, the, the MMA fighter gets caught in a toxic, abusive relationship. I don't know how I ended up there. I wish I had an answer for that. When I was dating him, you saw little things here and there. And I'm not from a family that talks about emotions. We're not, we're not touchy-feely people. And that's not something that I ever thought was weird. I thought that was completely normal. I thought not having affection in a family was, was normal to me. So my relationship with my granddad was a little weird because he did give me hugs. He did tell me like, oh, I love you. Like we, we didn't say that in my family. So not having somebody say that to me was normal. I thought that was a normal relationship. And it's funny now because looking back at it, my friends, when I tell them this story, and a lot of them don't know the story, so they're learning some things today. One of my close friends that I told everything to, she goes, you know, that's not normal, right? Like, 
It was normal to you. It was normal to me, but not having somebody say, I love you or hug you or touch you or want to be around you and saying all those encouraging things to me was just a normal relationship. And in the beginning of the relationship, that was extremely normal. So I wasn't offended, but I could see that other people thought that I was strange for not having that desire and for not seeing those signs that were there. The other sign was that there was a lot of alcohol in that relationship. There was a lot of alcohol in that relationship. And growing up, alcohol had been a part of our our family history. There's alcohol abuse in my family. But again, the science to me, just everything seemed normal. That seemed like a normal thing. So I wasn't too concerned about it. Also, you know, like you're young, you have fun, right? You party, like that's what you do when you're, when you're young, you make stupid decisions, right? So for me, this all kind of seemed like, yeah, this is, this is the way just relationships go. This is part of life, right? Well, and at this time you were in Texas and your family was in Vermont. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have an opportunity to really take a look in and say, Hey, we think this is healthy for you or no, it's not. You're still young young and far away from family and friends. Right. And kind of isolated. I had nobody. So I, I moved down here not having any friends, not having any family. What moved you to Texas? A boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A different one? Same boy. Oh, okay. Okay. So I had I had nobody down here. I wasn't uncomfortable with it. That wasn't scary for me. I was actually really excited to get out of such a small yeah. place. So for me, it was exciting, but it, it for sure was lonely. I remember the first Christmas I had down here, I spent by myself and I've never been alone on a holiday before like that. And so it was very weird. And I think mm-hmm. that was my first sign of like, oh, there's just, okay, maybe this isn't what you thought it was. Something's not, yeah, you can kind of smell, you can kind of smell it, you know, smell it in the water. And I kind of started thinking to myself, like, things aren't adding up. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody should be alone on Christmas. You know what I mean? My family had no idea about what was happening behind the scenes. And at that point, there was kind of a rift in our relationship. So we weren't really on speaking terms. With your family? With my family. My friends and I, I mean, you know, we grow apart. High school friends grow apart. Of course. Everybody else is doing their own thing, you know. Well, especially when you're trying to have a relationship with somebody to maybe build a future, your dedication is with them. Mm -hmm. So what was a point in which it was the peak that caused you to make a huge shift? What was the turning point? When was it at its worst is what there's, I'm trying to say. There's two that come to mind. And so the first time was the very first time I was hit. There had been a lot of emotional abuse up to that point. And for me, name calling, it seemed very just childish to me. And I didn't think it was abuse. I, I knew it was, I was like, yeah, there's not, that's not right. Like nobody should be calling someone they right. love that, right? But the very first time that there was physical abuse was was the first time where I was like, oh, this is not a good situation. He, he came home, he was drunk when he got home and not drunk enough to where he couldn't control himself, but drunk enough to where there was no inhibition. And we got in an argument over something really just small and stupid. And I got shoved into a wall. And like, I'm the fighter here. And I, was, I think it was more just stunned than anything. You know, there's, yeah. there's fight, flight and freeze. And I didn't know what to do. I've never had somebody like who's supposed to be, you know, your person put hands on you like that. And at that moment, I knew there was something very wrong. But I was also broke. I was not broke. I didn't have a lot of money. When you're starting out as a personal trainer, you're not in it for the money. Let's be honest. (laughs) You're in it to help and to learn. And so I knew on my own financially, there was no way I could do anything. I'd like, I'd I'd be homeless if if I left. But here I have a roof over my head. 
I've got food in my fridge. I've got a car that works. Mm-hmm. I have a job. I have a bed to sleep in at night. It's There's heat when I need heat. There's AC when I need cool. Yeah, basic So needs. one time, okay, he hit me one time. You know what I mean? And I think that's what a lot of women tell themselves is it was one time. You know, it wasn't, he didn't mean it. And we just kind of continued to lie to ourselves. And that's what I did until it got worse. Mm-hmm. And what was the worst point? The worst point and the point that I actually, that was the turning point for everything was he came again, came home, and this time he was, I mean, blackout drunk. He has no recollection over what actually happened that night. And it was late. It was very, very late. I was trying to sleep, and I get pulled out of bed. Oh. I get pulled out of bed. There's shoving. There's hitting. There's telling me I'm all sorts of names that I will not repeat. And I got pinned up against the wall. Now, I'm, I'm trained to be able to get myself out of that situation. When you grow up doing the sports that I, I did growing up, self-defense is one of the things that my grandfather wanted me to know how to, how to do. I knew how to get out of the situation, but I just I froze. I completely froze. I was pinned against a wall, and he was carrying at that time. And so he pulled his gun on me and started yelling at me with a gun to my throat. Jesus. And I, I said that a lot too. I thought for sure in that second that I was, I was going to die. I thought that was it. And so I sat there and I made my peace with, with the big man upstairs because I thought he's going to pull that trigger. That's all he has to do is pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, by, you know, thank God we're human and his body rejected that alcohol right then and there. And instead of pulling the trigger, he got sick, let go of me and I ran. And so what released you was him throwing up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think had that not happened, I don't know if I'd maybe, be here today. Maybe God did answer your prayer. I think, yeah, yeah. I think somebody did for sure. But that was the moment I knew like, it doesn't matter if I have nothing in the bank, like I got to get out of here. It's not worth my life anymore. And so that's what I did. So you left, you took, did you take anything? <laughs> I took the essentials. I took my clothes. Now he was also passed out at that point. Okay, So, so had I had some time. I bought myself some time. So with him laying on the floor, I went and packed up everything that I could in a backpack, everything that I thought I needed. I took, I took clothes. I took a pillow. I took some blankets. It was cold. I took one thing that wasn't like essential at the time. And it was a book. And I was like, you know what? I just, I need this. I need this. This has gotten me through a lot of things. So I took that book and I left. I got in my car and I left. I had $500, I think, in my bank account at that point and was like, we're just going to, we're going to see what, we're just going to have to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so I took what I could, got in my car, drove to the parking lot of my job. And that's where I spent the next nine months. Nine months? Nine months. And were you, and I guess because you were a trainer- Mm-hmm. You were able to shower inside the gym. Gym has a shower. It's got a little kitchenette. I was set. I had a place to to shower. I had a parking lot to sleep in. Did they know that you were? They uh, they do now. <laughs> At the time, no. Well, it's twenty four hours. It's you know, uh, it was, you know it a, lot, was. <laughs> a lot of the gyms are twenty four hours, so mm-hmm. they don't know who's cars who. Mm-hmm, exactly. But you knew it was a safe location. and I knew it was a safe location. I knew there were cameras everywhere. I knew where the cameras were, so I knew where to park. I knew all the front desk guys. They knew me. There was nothing about that place that worried me. That became a safe place for me. So that's where I stayed. How dark did it get while you were in the car for nine months? It got pretty dark. You know, you go from having a bed every night to mm-hmm. sleeping in the back of a car with the seats pulled down and trying to figure out a security system. So God forbid, if somebody does try to break into the car, you're okay. Do you have any weapons? I had a gun. Okay. And so I had my gun. And <laughs> the joke was, 
I only got two magazines of ammo. That was it. But I also like to make sure I can stay sharp with my skills. So two magazines slowly turned into one and slowly turned into one bullet left. And so I hung on to that bullet. But things got pretty bad over those nine months. It's hard to accept the fact that you're living paycheck to paycheck, if that. There was a time when I was living in that car where I had $3.38 to my name. I'll never forget that because I went to go and try to buy dinner number. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. I tried to go buy dinner and I couldn't buy dinner, couldn't afford it. And I went and checked my bank account and that's the number that was there. And so I spent two days without food. I had plenty of water because there's, you know, water fountains are free, but yeah, it all got pretty real staying there. What was the moment that, well, what saved you in these moments? Because you said just a minute ago, there's some dark moments. What book did you have? And what saved you through that time? So the book I brought with me was Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell, dear friend of yours. I had had that book for a while. And that book always seemed to, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was about that book at the time. But I remember the very first time I read it, very first time I sat down, I read it cover to cover. And I've never done that with a book in one sitting. And I remember reading that book the first time and just crying. And I didn't know why. I'm not a vet. I have no ties to the military except my granddad. And so I didn't understand why I was, I was just so like engulfed in that, in that book. Now, of course it's an, it's an amazing story. Like I can't take that away from anybody. And, and what happens in that book, I mean, everyone can relate to it in some way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. but there was just something about it that, you know, that never give up, that never quit mentality that just really spoke to me. And I think that even growing up, that's the mentality that I had regardless of, you know, who was saying it. Mm -hmm. And reading that book just kind of reinstated that for me every single time that I read it. And that was the book that came with me. And I mean, it was ripped. It was, it's fallen apart. It looks like a seventh grade textbook, like that's been through the ringer a few times, but it's well loved. Yeah. And during that time in the car, it got read every night. That was the one source of entertainment I had. I didn't have a phone charger. So every time my phone would die, I'd have to go back inside the, inside the gym and charge my phone. I couldn't pay for data. So like, I'm not sitting out there watching stuff. So you were using Wi-Fi just for any sort of communication, any sort of communication and someone else's charger inside. Yep. Or your, you probably had a charger, but you had to plug it inside. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to waste my car battery which also died on me in those nine months, by the way. So that was a fun time. But the book was the only source of, I don't want to say entertainment, but truly the only source of something outside of the world that I had where I could escape there and not think about anything else. And it really did. It it saved my life. There was a, a night where, you know, you think you're safe. You're doing this for nine months. Like in, in nine months, we had no communication with each other, no contact whatsoever. And then it, all it takes is one night, right? And I heard his car pull in and I knew that sound. And it was, Mm. you don't forget that kind of sound. You know what it is, you know? And I heard the car pull in. I heard it pull in next to my car. And I mean, my heart just dropped because I knew exactly who it was. And, you know, he got out of his car and started banging on my window. And I I don't know what it was, but me being who I was, was like, oh, open the door. And that was the dumbest thing I could have done. Should have called for help, somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, anything. But nope, I opened the door. And as soon as I had like a crack of like moonlight in that door, his hand was in and pulled me out. And you could just smell the alcohol. And so I knew he was drunk. Mm -hmm. I knew he was driving around drunk, which was worse. 
And I knew that this wasn't going to end well. And I got pinned to the side of my car, yelled at, hit, but strategically hit. He had gotten better where he stopped hitting me in the face, but he hit me all over my body to where you couldn't see it, right? Saying things to me like, my family doesn't love me. I have no friends. I'm worthless. My favorite being, I was a waste of breath. Mm. And I mean, screaming these things to you in the middle of a parking lot. And it was nighttime. There was maybe one other car parked in the parking lot. And I think it was the attendant at the front desk, but he can't see these things happening. Mm. And it was the one night that I didn't park under a security camera. The one night. So I had nothing, right? He left shortly after that. It was it was a touch and go. And like I still to this day don't know why. Don't know why that happened. And I sat outside my car just kind of like, what do I do? Like, why does this keep happening? Why me? I've done nothing to provoke this out of somebody. When I got back into my car, I broke down. I'm not a very emotional person. And I, I don't like to cry. I'm not, I'm not a crier, mm-hmm. but I I couldn't stop crying. I sat there for, I can't even tell you how long, just contemplating like, why am I really here? What's my purpose? If I'm just, if I'm just here to be, you know, a beat up doll for somebody else, why bother? It made no sense to me. I'd been through a lot of pretty horrible things growing up as a teenager and as a young adult. A couple days specifically stood out to me and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't understand why someone has to go through all of this. Why can't I just get a break? You know? And I was sitting there and as I'm sitting there contemplating all these things and I'm like, I started like talking to myself and admitting like, oh yeah, he's right. Like my family doesn't love me. They don't care about me. We at that point hadn't spoken for, I think almost three years. I had no communication with my parents. I had very little communication with my sisters. My friends and I kind of had just fallen out of touch with each other. And I think a lot of it was on my end. No one wants to admit when they're having a problem. You know, and it was a matter of pride for me. Everyone thought I was, you know, she's doing great in Texas. Like she's, you know, she's making big moves. Yeah, making big moves into my car, real big moves. I didn't want to be seen as somebody who needed, you know, pity. And I think for me, like I said, it was a matter of pride. So I just didn't speak with them. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working, but I'm not doing anything like magnificent. Like I'm a trainer who's living paycheck to paycheck and living in my car. Like what's that to brag about? And I started just thinking like, yeah, he's right. Like, I'm a waste. I don't know why I'm here. I have no purpose here. And I started talking to myself like that more and more through the night. And that gun started to look really good. It started to look really very much like a way out. And I had one bullet left. Can't miss, right? I've got, I've got mm-hmm. one shot. And I sat there and I remember just sitting with the gun here. And I just sat there. I was like, all I got to do is just pull the trigger and it'll all stop. I almost did. And I, I had, I had my finger on it. And when I looked down to, you know, I, I sat there and I made my peace. I was like, all right, Jesus, it's been X amount of years. I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm so done with it. I had lost my sister at that point. One of my sisters passed away. I'd been through some stupid amount of, of trauma with boys. I was over it. I, I wanted to see my sister again. I wanted to see my grandparents again. I was just, I was done. And I look down and the thing that's sitting there is this stupid book is sitting there (laughs) and I don't know what it was, but there was, there was something telling me I'm convinced my guardian angel was working overtime (laughs) that day. (laughs) Something told me like, just, just pick it up, just pick up the book, just, just pick up. You can still hold the gun, just pick up the book. And so that's what I did. So I picked up the book and I started reading where I left off the night before. 
And it happened to be at the part where the, the firefight is on the mountainside. And they keep getting blown off the mountain and jumping off the mountain. And like, just <laughs> if you haven't read it yet, I'm sorry, spoiler alerts, but shame on you. Marcus kept getting just blown up and jumped. And it was a, a ridiculous fight. And he kept losing his gun. And then all of a sudden it would come back. Like he'd look up and it's just right there. And there's a part in the book where he said something to the effect of, I don't want to butcher it, but it was like, God was, was giving me this as a sign. Like, Hey buddy, you're not done yet. Like you're going to be okay, but you need, you're going to need this. Like you're really going to need this. And I got to that part of the book and I just kept rereading that page. I mean, just over and over and over and over again. And I started, you know, I'm looking at my gun and reading this book and I'm looking at my gun and I'm reading the book and it kind of dawned on me in that moment, like with all of the things happening in that moment to the four of them, how easy would it just have been to just pull the trigger on themselves instead of having to deal with all of that and dying the way that, that the three of them did? Who am I to take my life? And I knew in that moment that I can't view this gun as a way out. I can't. Because look at how hard they worked to protect each other, to protect that brotherhood and that honor. Who am I to decide when it's my time? I should be looking at this as more of a, you're going to need this, but you're going to need this for protection more than anything else. And I put the gun down and kept reading. We read that book until the sun came up. And when the sun did come up, it was time, it was time to go to work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was right there and I, I, you know, just kind of said to myself, I'm like, okay, I get one more day. I get one more day. I can do this for one more day. And literally just put, you know, your trainer face on and walked in the door like nothing had happened the night before. And no one that I worked with, no one that I was friends with at that point in time in my life, know this story whatsoever. Y'all do. <laughs> my significant other does, but that's it. And so to have to walk into that gym after having a night like that and just act like everything was, was okay with my clients, with my coworkers was, I think one of the hardest things I had to do because everything just hurt. And it wasn't just like the, like my body hurt. Yeah. But it was my heart that was hurting more than anything because I knew how close I got the night before to just being done. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, surely somebody will find me. Right. It's, car that's been there for a couple of days. Like, yeah, Alicia hasn't shown up for work for a couple of days. Like surely somebody will find me and we'll just, you know, they'll let my parents know and they're going to bury a second kid. And I just said no. And went on the next day, got back in my car that night, read the book again, and then woke up the next morning. Okay. One more day. I can do one more day. And I cannot tell you how many days in a row I had to say that to myself to just mm-hmm. get out of that spot and that position And the more I read that book, the more this quote kept popping up in there. You know what the seals say is the only easy day was yesterday. Mm. And I tell you what, that saved me. And every morning I just repeat that to myself before I got out of my car and walked into the gym. So what happened? How did you get out of your car? I took a giant leap of faith (laughs) and started, started dating a guy. We maybe were dating for a month, maybe two. And I was like, Hey man, so listen, you know, we've been doing this a little while. Is your your lease up soon? (laughs) And I'm sure he thought it was absolutely insane Uh that you're dating this girl for a couple of months. And now she's like, Hey, let's move in. But it was out of survival. I was like, you know, I've saved up some money. 
now that I'm, you know, living in my car, I ain't got to pay rent anywhere. So I had some money saved up and we completely took a leap of faith and moved in together shortly after starting dating. And, uh, and then I had a house over my head. So I had a roof over my head. Yeah. And a bed to sleep in at night. It was awesome. (laughs) But it took a lot of work to get there. It was uh, a real just jumped out on a limb and, and hoped for the best and hoped that, you know, I've been friends with this person and I'm at a point in my life where like, I just need to keep fighting. You know, when you're sitting at the bottom of what you feel like is the bottom and you're at the bottom of the well and you just keep looking up, you got two choices. And one of my choices that I felt like I had just been doing was like grabbing a shovel and digging deeper. Like that's what it felt like. And instead of actually working to get myself out of the hole and to climb a little bit, I just kept digging and digging and digging. And it got to the point where I knew after that night that, all right, we got to we got to fix some stuff because we can't be doing this. And you have to pull yourself out of the well sometimes. You can't mm-hmm. have other people do it for you. So these past couple of years, you've pulled yourself well out of the well. <laughs> yeah. You have really pushed into your career. You are very, very good at what you do. And by the way, if you're in the Woodlands area, Alicia can train you mm-hmm. and don't worry, she'll have a good night's sleep the night before. I will, for sure. <laughs> and she has a huge list of these certifications, but you're still going, you're still learning, you're still growing. And I see that. And now you are working at Finish First. Mm-hmm. And what is the next step for you? And where do you see your life going now? And how will it tie into your career? Oh, I like this question. The next step, honestly, is, you know, I like to take things one day at a time. Yeah, we all have that big five-year plan, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, I try to live every day in the moment. I like to continue my education because fitness is one thing that never stops changing. And that's right. and that's the beauty of it. This career will never, never stop evolving, never stop changing. The idea is we get a little bit bigger, we expand a little bit more, we hire some more people under me, we expand our way of thinking, which is, you know, by purely education more than anything else. And we just kind of make finish first spread. Yeah. yeah. It is an excellent, well-rounded place. And it's done amazing things for Trey and I. Okay. I did want to say this though. You've gone through, you didn't just get out of the situation and start working and get better. Mm -hmm. This is also taken work with a therapist as well, right? Oh, for sure. Yes. A lot of work. What does that look like? Because think about how many people are listening that may have been in similar situations. You can't expect to shove it down. It's going to come up. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. So I actually, for the longest time, never went to therapy. And a lot of that is because of the stigma that it had from, not from me per se, but from my family. Therapy was something that like, even after my sister died, nobody went to therapy. Like, none mm. of us went to therapy. None of us went to grief counseling, nothing. It was viewed very much as like, oh, well, you go if you're broken. You go there if you're broken. Right. Or, or if you're crazy. You don't, you know, we don't talk about therapy. That's bad. Right. And so I just never went because I was like, oh, I'm fine. I don't have a problem. Only all this trauma that, you know, we all mask with, you know, some some dark humor and sarcasm. But I actually started going to therapy about two years ago. So quite recently. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I started going was because I started getting panic attacks. And I was like, they came out of nowhere. I had been fine for years. And then all of a sudden, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night sweating, can't breathe. Like, I didn't understand what was – I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was going to die. And it made no sense to me. And at the time I was training a therapist 
And <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. We can laugh it's about purposeful. it. purposeful. And she's not the therapist that I went to, but I was training her. And I went in the next morning after after having this, this first panic attack episode. And I went to go talk to Chase because I, th- I thought something was like, I thought I was dying. And so I walked into his office and I guess she overheard me talking about it to him. And I'm, I was asking him, like, like, my heart was racing, but I couldn't breathe and I was sweating and I thought it was going to pass. I don't know. And Chase, you know, Chase is doing the Chase thing, right? Uh-huh. And, and so he's like, you know, he's, he's like, well, what's your heart rate at? And I was like, skyrocketing. And my therapist came back and she goes, can I ask you a question? And I go, yeah, yeah what's up? You know, I'm thinking she's got a fitness thing. No, she's like, have you ever had panic attacks? And I go, No. I'm fine. Like that's for weak that's, people. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Wimps. I was like, oh, wuss. like, yeah. Wussies get panic attacks. I don't get a panic attack. Have we met? Like, no. <laughs> I'm fine. And she goes, "Do you have any anxiety?" And I go, "Any what?" No. 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 You're like, I will beat I up have, anxiety. I was like, we're gonna, now we're going to go run because you said that. Like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't have anxiety. <laughs> like, no. How dare you? And. She, it's funny because she goes, it kind of sounds like you might have had a panic attack. And she's being very nice about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm being the jerk. And I was like, no, I didn't have it. No. And then I'm thinking to myself, like through the session, I'm like, oh my God, did I have a panic attack? And now I start panicking about having a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and she, she goes, you maybe want to talk to somebody. She's like, not me, not me. And good on her because I got a load to undump on her. But she threw out some names for me. I held on to these names for like two weeks and just kind of waited. And I'm like, it's going to pass. I'm fine. It's going to pass. And then it happened again, like four nights later. Mm. And I was like, <clears throat> she might be right. I need to make that call. Yeah. So I reached out to a therapist, young, young therapist. She's actually, we're the same age and, and she's also <laughs> training in MMA, which is pretty cool. Oh, and nice. uh, so we have similar backgrounds mm-hmm. and she is awesome. She is fantastic. And Tracy, and I, I hooked up with her and she, you know, she's, very first session. She's very nice. She's very calm. And she's like, so tell me about, you know, your childhood. I'm like, oh no, we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) And she's like, okay, well, so we start diving into some things and she's like, so why are you here? And I was like, I don't know. I started having panic attacks and I don't know why. And, you're supposed to tell me. You're supposed you're to the tell therapist. me. I'm paying you to tell me what's wrong. Like, here's here's what's going on. Okay, now lay it on me. You're like, well, there were, I mean, there was a time where there was a gun to my throat. You but, know, but I mean, the time details. No big deal. I rarely, as I said before, I'm not a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. Turns out I am. Turns out <laughs> I'm a very emotional person. And I sat in that office and I don't know why. We started talking. I just started crying. Oh, yeah, and I, j- I mean, all of it, every place in my face that could have a liquid come out of it came out. And at the end of the session, she goes, so next week? You're going to come back, right? Yeah, you, you come back. <laughs> and I was like, I guess so. I don't know what's wrong with me. I sat here and cried for 45 minutes and I don't understand why. It was a very humbling experience mm-hmm. because I don't like to, I don't like to do that in front of people. I, I don't typically share my emotions with people. I'm getting really, really good at that now. But I'm a very prideful person. And I'm extremely stubborn. I wonder where I got that from. And when I was I was sitting in, in that first therapy session, she she kind of, you know, she laid into me a little bit. And she's like, why do you feel like you have to be so strong? And I go, well, because I've literally had to survive just my whole life by doing this and, and not showing emotion and, and fighting my whole life. And she goes, okay, so why do you feel like you have to fight here? Touche. <laughs> I don't, don't know. Don't you psychoanalyze me. I see your game. I see it. And I realized kind of in that moment, like that was the one place I didn't have to fight. And it was very odd for mm-hmm. me to to be in a position where I could now be vulnerable and I could be open. And I know for a lot of these, you know, a strong, independent women, we, you know, we own our own business. We're doing the 
the rah-rah thing, right? Like yeah. we're, we're superwomen. We're not. We are in a lot of sense, but I think it takes more mental strength than anything to admit like, uh, yeah, I got some stuff going on. Yeah. I need to talk to somebody about it. And that for me was a huge hurdle I had to come over because I never want to admit to somebody that I'm not okay. And I was very much not okay. And even though this had happened years before, it stays with you and, and trauma builds in the body, you yeah. know? It's like a pressure cooker. Oh, boy, is if it? If you don't let it out, it is going it's to- It's going to explode. It's going to explode at some point. Mm -hmm. Of course, technically, it's a bad example because actually a pressure cooker will slowly release pressure on its own over time. It'll However, start humming. It is- It's like Mentos so, in a Coke bottle. There you go. Mentos you in a go. Coke bottle. It just bottle. builds up and builds up. And boy, did it. And I think, you know- there's still, I think therapy now is becoming more and more open and, mm -hmm. and people are definitely more open about it. And like people joke about, oh, well, my therapist said this. Well, my therapist said this, you know, and we're actually having that conversation now, which is great. But I grew up in a very old traditional conservative household where they're like, no, we don't talk about that. Why, why would you say that? And it's funny because like now all of my sisters and I are in therapy and we'll swap phone calls with each other. And we're like, so what'd your therapist say about this, this, and this? <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, she said this and this. And what did yours say about this and this? So we're, we're swapping trauma now, which is great. I wonder <laughs> what the baby boomer population is doing with all their kids in therapy. Are they pissed? Because I imagine they're like, I guess I, I'm thinking we're about failures. my- <laughs> I'm thinking about when my kids, I've already started prepping them. Mm -hmm. I've already started prepping the kids. Listen, we screwed y'all up really I'm bad. I'm like, look guys, dad and I are growing up at the same time that mm -hmm. y'all are growing up. Mm -hmm. And just like you make mistakes- we're going to make mistakes too. I promise you we'll say, I'm sorry. We'll admit when we're wrong. And, but just know that like, we're going to make mistakes. So don't come back at me at college being pissed off at me. Okay. Because I don't, I, we, we, we want to be cool. Right. We're, we're cool. We're cool. We're, cool. we're going to be all right. I didn't do we're this to you. You did it to yourself. Remember that. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the baby boomer population, you know, they're the generation that had us. Mm -hmm. And I imagine they're probably like, what the hell, man? We weren't bad parents, but you turned out fine. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you turned yeah. out just fine. Well, so my parents are boomers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Growing up and looking back at our relationship, one of the big things that my my therapist had me do was she's like, we're going to learn about boundaries. And I'm like, what is this? What is a boundary? I don't know what this is. Fair. Are y'all Italian uh, too? Are we Italian? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Because <laughs> you're from the Northeast. Yeah. So no. We're, we're the weird ones. But I didn't know what, what boundaries were and what healthy boundaries were. And yeah. so when I started implementing that with my family, people got mad. Fair. So, so, so uh, same yeah, here. people got a little upset. But that was something we, we have to do. And even boundaries in, in my relationships now. Yeah, it's been years since everything has happened. And I've I've grown and changed as a person. And I think more people are starting to like my, my close relationships are all starting to see that like, there she is. That's the Alicia we know. Like, that's her. You know, the little wild child that was running around with like, you know, this high with like spoons and knives and boots that didn't match. Like that's, there she is. So I kind of feel like now after two years, I'm, I'm starting to come into my own again and like getting yeah, comfortable in your myself. own skin. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. Cause I don't think I've ever been in that position in my life where I didn't feel like I always had to fight. And yeah, that's a yeah. huge, that's a huge deal to come to that realization. You can feel like you can breathe for a second. It's kind of cool. And then those moments of growth are never going to stop. Right. Well, they'll stop if you make them stop. But if you allow them to happen, you're going to continually grow and grow and grow and your brain's going to change. And Trey and I constantly are noticing in our last episode, we just talked about it, some of the things that we've both grown in, in our fears and our doubts and what we have for our future. And we talked about my aunt hoarding on the last episode. If my aunt would have gone through therapy, her life could have looked very different. 
So therapy is excellent. And sometimes it takes some time to find the right one. But if we have all these goals and dreams for our life, we're going to have these limiting belief systems that we might have taken on that, oh, no, you don't go do that or no, you can't go do that. So you just believe it and then you don't act until someone says, well, hey, why? Why are you fighting? You don't have to keep going. Yeah. Just let's go. So there's a lot to unravel and a lot to let go of. And I love therapy for that. And I know certainly helped Trey and I. I mean, Trey today, really needs today, it the most, but. <laughs> today for me is therapy. Just you sharing. Yeah. I mean, you've been a mentor to me. You've been a coach to me. Your story is empowering to me. You've changed my life. And I just want to tell you thank you for being here and being you and not pulling that trigger and mm-hmm. being here today to talk about it. It's very powerful. Well, thank you guys. I was really nervous. <laughs> and after I, you know, received the invitation to come on and accepted it very quickly, I stopped for a second. I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. I just it's made like, a big mistake. Oh crap. I got to talk like, about I gotta, this. I got to speak about this now. <laughs> and, and realizing that there were so many people that are very, very close to me that have no idea what happened. And that, I think that was the, more the scary thing than anything that else was so like, you know, there are some people that are going to learn some things about you that they don't know. And it may change some people's perspective, which is fine. But I was, you know, talking to a friend this morning and I was sharing with him. I was like, you know, I'm really nervous about today. I was in, and I was like, not for, you know, fear of anything happening, just just nervous to share because it is a lot. And it's a very emotional thing having to kind of like relive that moment again mm-hmm. after so many years of not having to talk about it. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, even if, you know, you're going to be nervous, he's like, it's going to happen. But even if you change just one person's life or impact them in some way mm-hmm. to where like they can make a change for themselves, whether or not they're in a toxic relationship, or maybe they're just like in a spot where they're not ready for therapy or not ready to be vulnerable, if it affects that one person and they're like, oh yeah, like I can do this. This is the sign that I need to go, go take care of this and go take care of my stuff. Like, isn't that worth it? Yeah. Boom. Drop the mic. Yeah. I guarantee you that will happen here. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your courage and thank you for your honesty and vulnerability. It touched my heart and I know it's going to touch many. So thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. And how can people find you? Oh, people can find me just about everywhere. Instagram, my handle is barbells underscore and underscore brunch because love we love we love lifting, we love food. They can find me at Finish First as well. So on the Finish First Instagram, at Finish First, and then it's IPS at the end. Mostly those two places. If you look up Finish First online, you're going to see all of our faces pop up. Finishfirst.net. Finishfirst.net. Finish first. Okay. Yeah. She's the mad scientist over there. She will yeah. look at your body and put it all back into place. Make sure people work. That's it. Yep. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. 
It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.